Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. This is Luke, and welcome to my podcast for learners of English. I just want to remind you of my premium subscription before we get started. To get access to regular extra content in which I teach you vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium to sign up. And if you've got any questions or you want more information, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. That's a new page on my site that I've just set up with some frequently asked questions and their answers, of course. It would be a bit pointless if it was just the questions. Obviously, I've provided you with the answers too. So if you've got, you know, if you're thinking about Luke's English Podcast Premium, but you need to know certain things, check out my website in the premium part of the menu. You'll see it says premium info and frequently asked questions. Click that and you can get some more information. Okay, right then, let's get started with episode 666, part one. And here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. So this is episode 666. And the plan is to talk about all things evil, satanic, demonic, wicked, unholy, malevolent, hellish, and scary. Focusing on pop culture, music and films, and a few anecdotes and rambles. This is part one, and first of all, we deal with the significance of the number 666, and then we move on to talk about the musical side of things with a bit of a musical history lesson, and then also some stuff about heavy metal and scary music, including Black Sabbath, that band from Birmingham, and some other things. Now, just in case you don't know, the number 666 is associated with the devil, Satan, Lucifer, and generally frightening things like that. So before we begin, here is a disclaimer of sorts. I know that some people are very superstitious out there, and just talking about this subject will probably make some people a bit uneasy or uncomfortable. Some people take this sort of thing quite seriously. But don't worry, we don't believe in numerology, the occult, or Satanism. I say we because I'm joined by James in this episode, who's actually there. Hello, James. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Hello. We don't believe in in Satanism and stuff, do we? Well, I think it does exist. I'm not personally a subscriber to that philosophy, but um, no, I don't believe in sort of the dark arts. Okay, that that much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really. We're, we're treating this as a bit of fun, and um, we don't personally believe. Well, I don't personally believe in. I don't think I do anyway. This old school sort of God and Satan. Also, another thing is some of you out there might suffer from hexacosioi hexaconta hexaphobia, uh, which is the fear of the number six six six. Did you know that? Yes, there is a phobia of this number. 
in the same way that some people have claustrophobia, which is like the fear of enclosed spaces, or arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, or glossophobia, the fear of public speaking, there are people out there who have, let me say that word again, hexacosioi hexaconta hexaphobia. Not one of the words that everyone knows. So if you are one of those people, and if you're very superstitious about this stuff, or if you're of a particularly sensitive nature, then this might not be for you. Also, you should know that during this episode, we'll be playing some extracts of fairly loud and scary music sometimes. And also, you'll hear some clips from scary horror films, including weird and creepy background noises, maybe some screaming Maybe the sound of a chainsaw, you know, stuff like that. So if you're listening on headphones or something and you hear some scary noises, those scary noises will probably be coming from the podcast rather from rather than from the world around you. You're probably not being chased by a chainsaw-wielding maniac. It might be worth having a little look just to make sure, but uh, don't panic too much if you hear weird noises. We're not going to do it sort of randomly, We'll, you know, it'll all be part of the episode. But anyway, there will be some scary, weird noises. Just bear that in mind. And I hope it doesn't give you a shock or freak you out too much. Okay, I, I feel I should say that stuff before we start, just to give you, just give some of you a little warning. So my companion, as you know already in this episode, is my brother James, naturally. He is the scariest person I could think of to invite onto episode 666. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and also we don't want to um we've already said we don't want to offend anyone and we do respect you know if you have these beliefs and you know it's everyone's got a different take on this stuff but uh we're just trying to keep it light that's right and listeners ages ago james claimed episode 666 james didn't you you bagsied it well you mentioned oh i've got episode 666 coming up and i said yeah i'll be on that one so it was kind of like that yeah. Also, listeners have been asking me about this since they realised that I would make it to 666 episodes. I've been getting messages every now and then. Typically, comments from listeners are like this. They say stuff like this. Luke, episode 666 is coming up. I hope you're planning to do something special for it, like maybe an episode on heavy metal or horror films or something. Well, that is exactly the plan. So here we are, episode 666. Right then, now, where should we begin? Now, I think we should probably start by just saying what is the significance of the number 666 why is it associated with evil scary stuff well we did some research into this didn't we Mm -hmm. and i can't remember the conclusion of is it written in a note somewhere (laughs) yeah this is i'm supposed to talk about this bit Okay. So the significance of number 666. Yeah, so this number has been giving people the heebie-jeebies for centuries. It's a nice word. Hmm. Um, like, oh, 666, oh. That's basically when you get the heebie-jeebies. Oh, I'm a bit scared. Let's just talk about that. So uh, mathematically, apparently, I'm not a mathematician, but I've been reading about it, and I've been using a website called Numberphile which um, on Numberphile, it's it's run by sort of a bunch of mathematical experts. 
it's associated with the Mathematical Sciences Research Institute and a couple of other um, associations. So anyway, they know what they're talking about. According to number file, 666 is not a particularly special number mathematically. It's a triangular number, which basically means that when you calculate, if you take a load of numbers in a sequence and 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 add them all up. So if you take numbers 1 to 36 and you add them all up together, then it comes to 666. But there are lots of numbers that work like that, and it's a, uh, that's a triangle number. Anyway, uh, except for that, which is not particularly, uh, not really a unique thing, lots of numbers have that, um, 666 is not particularly special from a mathematical point of view. There are kind of all of those neuro, uh, numerologists out there uh, who are, who like to kind of find significance in numbers, but I don't really believe i'm sort of skeptical about all that neuro numerology stuff um but um so anyway from a mathematical point of view it's not really that significant but why is it associated with the devil well it's actually it's in the bible that's the thing uh it's in the new testament of the bible revelation the final part of the new testament uh chapter 13 verses 15 to 18 would you like me to quote the that section to you Yes, please. Can you do it in the Samuel Jackson voice, please? <laughs> the path of the righteous, man. Uh, no, I can't. So it goes like this. So this is Revelation uh, chapter 13. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. All right. Um, let him that hath understanding, meaning let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast which i think actually means it's not just me who thinks this but lots of people uh, this actually means uh, work this out like if you're able to understand it can you work out this clue this riddle let he him that hath understanding as in if yeah if if you want to understand something can work this out exactly the, the the word is translated in, into English as count. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, but it could be reckon the number or work out the number. Yeah, or just observe the number of the beast. Well, it's actually work it out. It's presented as a riddle, as a code. All right? And uh, so the number is 666. Now, the Bible was originally written in ancient Greek and some things in Hebrew as well. And in both those languages, uh, numbers are written as letters, a bit like Roman numerals. You know, the way, for example, let's say six would be VI in Roman numerals. Like, like at the end of films where they have all the, uh, the, the Latin, the Roman numerals for the, for the film release date. Exactly. So Greek and Hebrew, ancient Greek and Hebrew also um, express numbers in the form of letters. So it's actually possible to take someone's name and make it into a number. So if let's say the number 666 would be written using letters. And if you decode it that way into ancient Greek, and I actually I think it's Hebrew that, the, that they used for that particular uh, part. Um, if you decode it, spells out basically it spells out caesar nero okay so he was an emperor that's right and he was the bad guy he it was a bit of dissent bit of um local dissent 
mm-hmm. this uh, this passage. Exactly. Right? So it was kind of like a secret way of saying this guy is the baddie. Yeah. And it's a kind of a secret little riddle to solve. It's uh, it's quite quite interesting, isn't it? It's kind of like uh, a political message saying, look, uh, the real bad guy, our enemy, is in fact Caesar Nero. So, you know, and but you can't write into your religious book at the time. You can't make it explicit. Look, everyone, the bad guy is the Emperor Nero. You can't say that explicitly because you'll get into lots of trouble, obviously. So instead, they've written it as a sort of a code saying, look, guys, can you work this out? The real bad guy in this story is Emperor Nero. It's the beast. That's right. So it's it's not actually referring to the devil. It's just saying... Uh, to translations kind of mistranslated that and thought the beast... They didn't understand that reference. And they thought, well, this must be the number of the devil. Exactly. Because Nero, was, was uh, as a leader, was opposed to Christianity. And so this was more of a political um, message there. Interesting. So it's it's another one of these myths that we think we know what they mean. Uh, we think we know what six 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 means, and it's the number of the devil, and it's in the Bible. And then you you do a bit of research, and that's completely untrue. Right. But the myth really has um, stayed with us, and now six six six. There's nothing you can do about it. Even if you try to debunk it like this, six 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 is the devil and that's what it represents and you see it in so much stuff right everywhere i mean that's why people have been asking me to do something special for episode 666 uh, because um it's associated with that but also i mean it's in pop culture isn't it you get it in music you get it in lots of uh lots of different things especially 666 is sort of people have it tattooed on their arm and stuff because they're heavy metal fans there's a um Iron Maiden album called The Number of the Beast, isn't there? Uh, yeah, there is. I'm not. We have to confess something. Have neither to... of us are Iron Maiden fans. Yeah, we have to confess that neither of us actually are Iron Maiden fans. They're a British band, but um, well, why not, James? Why aren't we fans of Iron Maiden? Personally, they're too operatic for my tastes. Uh, I don't like all that. Run to the hills. It's just silly. <laughs> Sorry, I know I've lost a few friends there. But <laughs> yeah, Black Sabbath and is fantastic, but I don't like all that operatic, over the top, over the top everything, Spinal Tap stuff. Yeah, yes, that's right. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people who requested episode six 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 are huge Iron Maiden fans, and Iron Maiden do have very loyal, passionate fans don't they? But yeah, not it's not so much our cup of tea. I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's terrible. It's just not really the sort of thing that we like. But yeah, Black Sabbath, on the other hand. They definitely did flirt with uh, satanic imagery. Yeah. Uh, they claim now, I mean, are we going to just go into this now or we're going to cover this later? But they claim now that it was mainly the record company's idea. But I know that um, Geezer Butler... The uh, bass player did have a basement painted black, covered in inverted crosses. <laughs> so they like to say now, but I think they actually changed their minds about all that dark side stuff, and they started to wear the cross the right way up because they started to get a bit scared. Hmm. Um, and in fact, one of their dads, I think it was, I think it was Ozzy's dad, made them all these little. Uh, steel crosses for them to wear all the time and they've all got these matches matching steel crosses in a lot of photos and in fact one of the tracks is the sound of that steel cross bouncing off 
Tony Iommi's strings. Oh yeah. And I think they put that on there as like a good luck talisman. It's just one of the one of the fillers on one of the albums. I can't remember which one it's called. It's just a kind of twanging noise. Well it's the noise is uh is is cross hitting the strings of his guitar. Okay, let's talk then about music. I mean, I, I was going to say that uh, you know there there are sort of uh, devil is a trope that appears in lots of things. Um, let's do that. Let's, I mean, it is it is true. Heavy metal um, uses lots of sort of devilish imagery. You've written here skateboarding rap music. That's true. I mean, there's lots of scary rap music. Not necessarily satanic, but definitely horror film inspired. And um, yeah, I think we were talking about this before. A lot of films have this devilish bad guy. Star Wars, Darth Vader, The Emperor, Lord of the Rings, Sauron. And it's a very common trope. Uh, The one guy who represents pure evil. And it's a kind of binary idea of morality, isn't it? Mm. The idea that there's pure evil and, and pure good. You know, in, in fairy tales, you have the, you know, the, I don't know, the good guys and the, the pure evil represented in one figure. Certainly in films, films love to have that kind of basic binary opposition where you've got the person who represents all the good things, the good guy, and then you've got the bad guy. And of course, the bad guy yeah. ends up being a sort of a an a, a, a evil devil figure, ultimately. Yeah, it's a very common, you know, figure in, in pop culture. But if we just talk about music then, right, and we talk about heavy metal music, we were just talking about Black Sabbath there, that uh, band, uh, heavy metal band from Birmingham uh, that kind of became famous at the the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s, hugely popular group, Ozzy Osbourne, the lead singer. Um, They were, well, the name Black Sabbath already, meaning sort of Black Sunday, and... um, all of the imagery that they were associated with, like inverted crosses, lots of sort of satanic imagery. Um, they maybe the fir- were the first or one of the first bands to do that, but it sort of created a whole genre of music, heavy metal, which is full of satanic imagery and people doing, you know, doing that gesture with their hands, which looks like um, uh, horns, you know, devil horns. And so, you know, what's all that about then? What what's all that devil imagery in heavy metal music? I think it came from. I mean, Black, Black Sabbath were originally a kind of heavy blues band called Earth, and our, our uncle actually saw Earth live. He didn't really rate them very much, um, but they were quite into horror films themselves. And again, I think it was Geezer, the bass player, his. A friend of his at school had said, we've got a clip about this. Should we just play the clip? Yeah, go on. I think it's a really good little clip. And it explains how their interest in horror films and generally the dark side, because this was kind of coming out of the hippie movement. You know, this hippie movement had sort of failed. By the, by 1969, it had kind of been clear that the sort of idealism of 67 and so on wasn't going to sort of last out. And that there was still, I mean, especially if you're stuck in Aston in Birmingham, there's not a lot of peace and love going around. And it was a kind of like, it was a kind of reaction against the hippie wussy stuff, you know, the very happy go lucky kind of sixties vibe when it it wasn't really reflecting what they were going through. And Mm. they combined that with their love of heavy metal. And in fact, let's just play the clip. Okay. So which clip is it? The first one, black Sabbath name, Sabbath name. 
Okay, so we're going to hear Geezer Butler, the bass player. I believe it could be a few of them. Bill Ward. I think Bill Ward is in this one, who's the drummer. Okay, but they're basically talking about how they chose the name Black Sabbath and stuff. Okay, here we go. This is uh, a clip from... uh... This is from a documentary called Heavy Metal Britannia from the BBC, which is on uh, YouTube if you want to illegally watch it. And it's a very good documentary. So let's just, let's play it. Okay. Do you believe in ghosts? The name came from the Boris Karloff movie Black Sabbath. Starring the incomparable Boris Karloff. Terry had um, brought that to us. And... um, we all thought it was great because he sounded scary, you know. Yeah, my brother went to see it when he was about 16. He was all, And I was too young to go and see it, so he was always telling me about this film, Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath. And I always loved that name, Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath. And it stuck with me, and I always, wanted, I always said if I was in a band, that's what I'd call the band, Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath. Well, Geezer and myself used to go to the cinema a lot and go and see a lot of horror films. We, we used to like that in, in them days, you know. Old Boris Karloff ones and uh, Christopher Lee and all that. Empire. Used to like that. We used to go to the midnight viewing and all that business. An adventure into black magic that goes beyond the boundaries of the supernatural. Black Sabbath now began writing original material that reflected their fascination with and fear of the dark side. I am hungry. I played this riff and I thought, oh, I really like this. It gave you a sort of a, a, a vibe, you know, that, oh, I really like what this, we're doing here. So then it had to be lyrics that, that sort of went with that, the image of that, of that riff. One night I woke up and there was this black shape just staring at me at the bottom of the bed. And, you know, I was frightened the bloody life out of me. And I leapt out of the bed and went hid in the bathroom until I felt okay, and then I came back to bed. And the next day I told Ozzy about it. And I think that inspired him when he did, you know, came out with the lyrics, what is this that stands before me, big black shape and all that kind of thing. This is Black Sabbath. What is this? When I sang What Is This That Stands Before Me, I was I was completely there. I was completely there and I and if we'd have stopped and never written another song again, that would have been enough. very innocent 
We were very innocent. We weren't smart. We weren't contrived. It just came out in a completely natural way at about 9am in the morning at the Aston Community Centre, right in the centre of Aston, Birmingham. Everybody was um, <clears throat> in the world was all on about all the good things that's happening and it was all flower power and everything's all jolly. And, and then on the other side of it, there's, nobody was talking about the things that, that happened that's, you know, people getting blown up. And, 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 and just the other side of you got the good and the evil and nobody was talking about the evil, so... It just seemed an ideal thing to, to, to talk about, really. Peace and love was not necessarily our reality. You know, we came from Aston, uh, which is a pretty rough and tough area in Birmingham, and there wasn't a whole lot of um, flowers being handed out in Aston. You know, there's a few boots and a kick in the head every once in a while, and a few razor cuts. It was a tough town. Okay. How good is that? Yeah, it's really good. It sounds like a fantastic documentary. It still sends chills up my spine, to be honest, that whole, what is this that stands before me? I think this is a good moment to actually talk about some music theory and stuff. Because that track, so I've actually, this is going to sound terrible because I've got an acoustic guitar, a Spanish style acoustic guitar, which is, but that, that interval. Now you're, we're going to get more detail on this in a moment. Sorry. Goes up first. Yeah, but this, this is the interval, which is the, uh, the diminished uh, fifth or the augmented fourth, right? Now you're talking to, your friend Kate about this on the podcast in a moment, aren't you? Yeah, but I interviewed my friend Kate, who's a expert on medieval music <laughs> and uh, music history in general, and a very talented musician herself. And we thought she'd be the ideal person to talk about the the diminished fifth or the devil's interval. <laughs> yeah, because the Black Sabbath riff there's. And, and I can't play it. Right. And also, Ozzy's going. Let's play this clip with, with Kate. So that, that, though, is the devil's interval. Um, should we just go straight to Kate or should we hear Bill Bailey talking about his doorbell first? Um, I'd like to do Bill Bailey first. You're the boss. Just because um, he mentions the Devil's Interval and he also mentions the Council of Trent uh, yeah. when apparently the Devil's Interval was banned by the Catholic Church, which is another well, myth, uh, I think. We'll find out more about this in a second, so let's hold on. Let's hear Bill Bailey. Okay, so this is Bill Bailey, uh, who's a British comedian, very funny. He does lots of music in his comedy. And here he's talking about his doorbell. Ding dong, you know... When, you, when someone's at your door. And Bill's actually talking about home security. And he's chosen not to have a big security system in his home. Instead, he's chosen to have a psychological doorbell. And so the, the idea is that the, the psychological doorbell just um, deters unwanted visitors. So if someone comes to the house and you don't want them to, you know, come round, they will ring the doorbell and it, and it will make them scared and then they'll go away. Uh, that's the 
basic idea. But let's listen to Bill talking about his psychological doorbell and the devil's interval. Here we go. I'm not going in for the big security thing like that. I've just got a, a psychological doorbell to deter unwanted callers, right? Because most doorbells are quite friendly, aren't they? That's quite friendly, isn't it? And this one's quite friendly. Quite friendly, he's saying. He sort of eats the word a little bit. Uh, most doorbells are quite friendly. Like, that one's quite friendly, isn't it? Yeah. Quite friendly, aren't they? That's quite friendly, isn't it? And this one's quite friendly. <laughs> Although not if you've got an abduction complex. And uh, so what I've done, I've, uh, I use a, a chord. Uh, it's actually an interval. Uh, I don't know if you're down with musical terms. Uh, interval. So people go, oh, brilliant. And then they're off, you know. No. An interval is a gap between two notes, like this. That's called a perfect fourth, all right? I mean, it's just a musical term. It's not perfect. It's all right. There's a perfect fifth. That's what it's like. You know. That's used a lot in Gregorian chant, you know. Ah. Quite mysterious. Wouldn't work with uh, soap opera things. Wouldn't work with Coronation Street. <laughs> Sounds like a big little epic, doesn't it? <laughs> and lo, the Battersby's did smite the Tilsley's. Spooked <laughs> them all. Ah, yeah. No. So the chord I've gone for is, um, is actually an interval that was banned in 1545 at the Council of Trent, which was a, a religious conference. And they deemed that music had become too earthbound too sexual and it had to become more reverential and in praise of God and one chord in particular was banned this was called the devil's interval it's the augmented fourth or the diminished fifth depending on your outlook on life <laughs> if you're optimistic yeah. this is it mm. I am inflamed with sexual lust <laughs> and that is highly effective as a doorbell see He's miming someone pressing the doorbell and then getting scared and sort of uh, jumping away. Step away, Obadiah. The devil dwells within. That's actually the Pope's doorbell. <laughs> That's the Pope's doorbell. Okay, so James, shall we? Shall we then listen to Kate, your friend Kate? Um, do you need to do a little introduction to this? I already did an introduction, um, so it should be all there. Do you want me to just play it through now? Yeah, why not, Kate? How do I okay, start this? Is this? Basically, it. I don't know what we're we meant to be talking about. Tritones. But I'm going to start. I've got I've got an intro written up. Okay, um, this is James for Luke's English Podcast, and I'm here with uh, Kate Arnold. Kate and I go back a long way, since about 1991, would you say, Kate? 
yeah, it is probably 91, yeah. Uh, we used to hang out in the same corner of the uh, kind of common room at Sixth Form. <laughs> Um, the kind of common room, yeah. Okay, well, what was it called? It was, <laughs> in a, I don't know what it was. It was the common room. It was the common room, okay. Um, I'm sure we walked to the bus stop together sometimes. We certainly used to drink together in Aston. Oh, yeah. We were in various bands at the same time. Yeah. mention <laughs> or not mention. <laughs> they were great bands. Great bands. Kate is a very talented musician, a multi-instrumentalist and a singer and a songwriter, uh, playing instruments like the violin and the dulcimer, along with loop pedals sometimes. She performs solo and also with Fear of the Forest, which is a kind of medieval pop group. We've uh, asked Kate to come on today is because she's got a strong interest in and knowledge of music, history, and both of those two things combined, and medieval history. Which brings us on to, first of all, hello, Kate. Hello. We've already sort of caught up, but how are you? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, it's all a little bit weird as we do this interview because we're both in lockdown. Um but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. It is very a chance to catch up on some music, so that's good. That's good. And you're still teaching music on Zoom, I understand. I'm doing my best. Yeah, um, you kind of have to get your head around a whole new way of working. Really, it's quite different from actually being in the same room with your student. Obviously, um, you've got to kind of think of a whole new way of of doing the lesson. Really. But it's amazing how much progress some students can make just with, uh, you know, a, with a video lesson. So, yeah, it's it's not too bad. It's it's better than nothing. You're on your own as well, like me, aren't you? Um, yeah. It's yeah. Weird. My house is full of taxidermy and um, old portraits of people <laughs> I don't know. So <laughs> it's... <laughs> Sometimes I wander the battlements at night talking to the gargoyles. <laughs> you think I'm joking. <laughs> That's good timing. So that brings us on to the Devil's Interval. Diablos in Musica. Yes. What is the Devil's Interval? The Devil's Interval is the tritone. Okay. Or the the augmented fourth or diminished fifth which is the interval between two notes of the scale. Um, now, it's probably easier if I play them at you, I think, yeah. if I can, instead of trying to describe it. I don't have a piano, but I do have the dulcimer in the room with me, so we'll just see if the mic can pick it up. Hang on. Fantastic. Okay, so um, can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, so here's your tritone. Okay, so that's your nice kind of crunchy, if I play those two notes together, it's a bit kind of um, discordant and unharmonious, isn't it? Yeah. Now, that's your diminished fifth. If I play you a perfect fifth, just to compare it with, you get this. 
play them together. And that's the basis of all Western harmony, basically. That gives you your instant kind of medieval harmony sound. That's all your parallel fifths. But if you drop down one semitone from that fifth, you get that nasty, crunchy sound. Yeah. So hopefully that's made it clear. <laughs> um, or at least you get an idea of what it actually sounds like. Thank you. And um, the people who have heard Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix will recognise that interval because um, it, it happens quite famously in that and Black Sabbath as well uh, a lot of um, romantic and modern composers from the sort of I suppose late 19th to early 20th century used it in a lot of their music uh, there was Debussy, Berlioz um, Britain, Bernstein used it in West Side Story, even Holst. So um, it's, it, it's been used a lot. Has it got this reputation for being this Diablos in Musica, the Devil's Interval? I suppose. Where you come from? Well, <laughs> I did actually do a bit of extra research before this interview because I thought I knew as well, but it turns out that I didn't. The first known evidence of that phrase um, it, as related to that interval that we've just heard is from 1702. So not medieval at all, the origin of that particular phrase. Um, Diablos in musica just means the devil in music. Okay. And it's... It's become associated with the tritone, but in fact, even in 1702, that term was used for any dissonant interval in music, not just the tritone. So anything that sounded unharmonious, they would call it diablos in musica. They'd call it the devil in music. But you kind of get the impression that they mean devil just in the sense of... Um, a minor inconvenience, a bit like we would say the devil's in the detail. Yeah. You know. It's not literally evil, the, the way they're describing it. No, no. And, and if you go back further, I know you've got to go to, there's the Council of Trent in 1545. And I think this is where some people get the idea that this is some kind of evil interval. There is this myth that the Council of Trent actually banned this interval from being used in music at all. Right. Um, but there's no evidence for this at all. What they did ban was anything impure, noisy and clamorous in church music. But it applied only to church music. There's no documentary evidence banning the tritone specifically. It's not even mentioned. So even if it had been mentioned, because the council was all about church music, it would only have applied in church music. There was no wholesale prohibition on the tritone in secular music so it sounds very draconian when you first hear about it but it's actually missed it's not yeah. really 
Yeah, but this is, um, it's one of the myths about the medieval church, actually, that they just went around banning everything and everything was heretical. Um, but this is simply not the case a lot of the time. We, we tend to sort of think that we know what medieval people believed and how they thought, especially the medieval church. And it has this terrible reputation um, for being sort of backward and standing in the way of science and all this sort of thing and banning things left, right and centre. But actually, the Renaissance church was much, much worse for that. Mm. Um, I've got a real thing about people sort of using the word medieval to mean backward because in a lot of ways they were more advanced and forward thinking than we are just for those ignoramuses like me what years are we talking about when we say medieval i would say medieval from about let's say nine or ten hundred to let's say 1500 absolute latest yeah so it covers a long period of time yes um, but yeah, people, people think they know what it was like in medieval times and, and we really, really don't. Um, I mean, going back to the, the Tritone thing before the Council of Trent, which as I say was in 1545, you go back sort of three, 400 years to the first, um, well, the, the guy who's seen as the first Western music theorist and he was a monk called Guido d'Arezzo. And he wrote the first kind of treatise on Western music theory. And um, he did argue for the elimination of the tritone from music. But again, nothing to do with the devil. He doesn't mention the devil. He doesn't say anything about it being evil. His argument was on the grounds that it was unharmonious and it didn't have that nice parallel fifths sound that I played earlier on. Yes, he just didn't like the sounds. That was all. Evil or anything. He wasn't being literal like that, we don't think. No, no, not at all. Not at all. So this whole sort of myth of, um, of it being associated with evil has really come about in the last hundred years or so. And since it's the banned as well, because it, it wasn't actually banned. There was just some no. guidelines about the church, which they were asked to follow. But that was it wasn't like a wide-reaching... Ban. No, no, not at all. It's never been banned. It's never been evil. It's only in the last hundred years that people have decided it's going to have this association with the devil. And yeah. that is mainly in romantic, 19th century romantic composers, modern composers and rock and metal. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's really it. Okay. I, I hope some of that made some sense. <laughs> A lot of sense, and we've we've busted some myths. Good, good. I always like busting medieval myths. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got some new music out, haven't you? Yes, I have. Fortuni I. Well, it's Rota Fortuni One. One. Sorry, I thought that was yeah. pretty good at Latin. So that's Latin. What does that mean? It means Wheel of Fortune. Right. There will be a follow-up. I'm, I'm working on Rotofortuni 2 at the moment. So hopefully when the lockdown's over, that will be recorded and released. Beautiful. Well, we're going to play some now, if that's all right with you. No, please play whatever you like. What track are you going to play? I thought I was going to play Skeleton Key. OK. OK, well, thanks very, very much for coming on and talking about The Devil's Interval. 
You're uh, welcome. I hope some of it made sense to somebody somewhere. To me, well, you know, 90%. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 90% is good. That, that's a good proportion. Too bad, is it? Okay, thank you very, very much. And um, Thanks for having me. And we'll check out your music and um, cheers, Kate. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So this is by Kate Arnold, as promised. This is Skeleton Key. This is performed with um, a dulcimer, I believe a violin, percussive elements and loop pedals. And she does this live as well. So um, here we go, Skeleton Key. That was fantastic. That was really interesting. So I just want to say thanks to Kate for answering our question about the Devil's Interval and uh, lovely music. Yeah, so people can check out some of her stuff. We'll put links on the page for the episode. There'll be a couple of YouTube videos. And if they want to get her music, they can do that. Just go onto the page for the episode. You'll find details uh, of Kate Arnold's music. That was great. Recommend Bandcamp as your music source because uh, if you buy it from there... The money goes straight to Kate. Um, it's nice to have it on your phone, so you're not streaming all the time. That would so be that would be Bandcamp. Pay 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 for it on Bandcamp would be my humble suggestion. Okay, links on the page for the episode. Okay, so anyway, that was about the Devil's Interval, which um, 
Yeah, the diminished fifth, the augmented fourth, which, yeah, I mean, she mentioned Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze, and uh, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, uh, down, 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 which we heard before. So let's go back to talking about Black Sabbath again. And, um, Sabbath. Good old Black Sabbath. Um, do you remember the first time you got into Black Sabbath? Yeah, again, I think this was <clears throat> Matt Branner Martin, the same guy that gave us that rave tape. Um, I think he actually played me. So he lent me some records back in the day. I mean, back in the day when um, you didn't have file sharing, you had to lend each other your records and stuff. And he brought in some records for me to borrow. And one of them was that Black Sabbath Greatest Hits album. You know, you know what? You know what? I think this is another case of where I remember your life better than you do. (laughs) Well, I remember Matt got me into Black Sabbath, but I may be wrong. Maybe it was you. No, it was Matt. But this is 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 how I remember it. So you went to university 1993. No, I think I was into Sabbath before then. Well, this is what I remember. So I went to to visit you in Cambridge when you were at university and I'd been given a tape, a Black Sabbath tape by Matt because I was hanging around with him because he still lived in Solihull at the time. So I was still hanging around with Matt when you'd gone to university and he gave me, he made me a tape of Black Sabbath and I was listening to it all the way to on the bus to, to, to visit you in Cambridge and really enjoying it. And then... When I saw you, I said, hey, listen to this. And and um, you were like, what's this? And I said, Black Sabbath. And you were like, Black Sabbath. That was your reaction. And then later on, um, I think... The later st- on, I invented Black Sabbath and told you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. But I remember later on, you borrowed the tape from me. I think it was in the summer holidays. And you were getting into it, and you I remember distinctly you saying, I can't believe I'm getting into Black Sabbath. Because this is before you'd kind of... You heavy metal was a, a big no-no for me in those days. Heavy because, metal was a no-no, yeah. Yeah, because I'd um, one of my friends at school, his brother had a lot of heavy metal albums. And I really didn't like them. They were like overproduced. It was like stuff like ZZ Top, which I now like, but the later stuff I'm not so into. And it was very glossy, and all the sort of devilly stuff just seemed really dumb. And uh, I was kind of not interested. It just seemed like a really stupid little, like like Dungeons and Dragons or something, you know. <laughs> it just didn't seem cool. And the music was overblown and very overproduced in the 80s, and I just didn't like it. So when I found Black Sabbath, it was like, oh, actually, maybe I do like heavy metal because this is if this is heavy metal, then I like heavy metal. But it turns out Black Sabbath aren't actually heavy metal. They're heavy rock. Oh, yeah? Yep. Black Sabbath don't call themselves heavy metal. I mean, they kind of do now grudgingly, but Tony Iommi says he never heard the phrase black, uh, heavy metal growing up, and he considers what they play to be heavy rock. Because to me, it's grounded in blues. Right. Whereas a lot but a lot of that later heavy metal has moved away from the blues riff kind of format. And it's just this really over the top stuff. And it doesn't have that down, down and dirty sort of down at heel rock and roll vibe anymore. It just has this kind of flashy over the top, too fast vibe. Okay. I see. But motorhead and black Sabbath are both kind of in the heavy rock mold for me, where they're really based in old blues rock, but just heavily amplified. 
Whereas you wouldn't say Iron Maiden are particularly bluesy, would you? I'm rambling, but I remember. Yeah, when I first got to Black Sabbath, what I remember is the 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 album covers as well as the music. The that greatest hits, which is a terrible pressing, by the way, or Nems, whatever the hell that label was. Uh, but it's got that Bruegel painting on the front of like a sort of uh, Dark Ages horrific um, Old Testaments kind of. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Very much like people, a lot of people think it's Hieronymus Bosch because it's very similar, but it's actually this guy called Bruegel. And he painted sort of visions of hell. And also the, the, the front cover of their first album has this very scary, like, witch standing in, in a kind of overrun garden of a sort of estate. And that's really scary as well. Yeah, I remember the Greatest Hits album cover. Yeah, I remember you um, buying it. And uh, yeah, it's really scary. It's a really scary scene. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not exactly hippie stuff, is it? I mean, the hippies must have been terrified. Essentially, if I can describe the album cover, it's like a town in the countryside being overrun by skeletons, <laughs> isn't it? It's like these weird skeleton... It's a skeleton army coming... There's loads of details of different people being tortured in different ways and like strung up on racks and like it's really <laughs> nasty it's really scary yeah yeah really scary and so fascinating it really disturbed me in a, in a very exciting way when i when i used to uh stare at that album cover i used to kind of, kind of from the 18th century or something so you know or even earlier i don't know when it's when's it from 16th century i don't know but it, there is a date on the cover somewhere but it's just like oh my god this is this is scary. Yeah, totally, totally scary. And it kind of makes you think of periods in the past when dark stuff must have happened. I mean, not that skeleton armies um, ever walked the earth, but who knows? But not that, not that skeleton armies exactly walked the earth. But stuff like, you know, things that happened during the days of the bubonic plague, some of the horrific scenes that must have happened and the the witch hunts and and things like that some horrible stuff has happened in in kind of um feudal not yeah in feudal uh countryside areas in europe in the past and other places i mean yeah scary stuff but yeah that album cover is really really frightening and horrible but sort of exciting so i mean this thing you know basically to some try and summarize this kind of black sabbath satanic scary image thing and what you get in heavy metal it's mainly it's just sort of a bit of a taboo and it's exciting isn't it really it kind of gives you a little exciting thrill and it's scary and that's the appeal of it it's rather than it being about genuine devil worship it's just more (laughs) naughty exciting and uh the sort of thing your parents wouldn't like and they also talk about dark real life things as well so sort of like paranoia and you know sort of mental illness almost like going crazy and um uh other sort of like they had some song called war pigs which is about you know kind of generals and vietnam war and stuff like that and um they write about the kind of things that most people would never write about you know there weren't too many i mean nowadays it's kind of common to talk about anything but i think in in the late 60s to start talking about and and not even in a protest song kind of way, more in a sort of resigned, we're all going to hell sort of way. (laughs) And it's not like there were protest songs. They were just like, oh my God, we're fucked. (laughs) War Pigs is 
maybe my favorite just the the number of riffs in that track tony iomi the guitarist is just on fire in that um in that track just all these different riffs every single part of the song is a a riff that you could build an entire uh, song on top of and there are there's like one amazing riff which he repeats a few times and then another amazing riff it's actually really melodic the the his guitar playing is extremely melodic which is kind of because he was so influenced by the shadows and the shadows were essentially like melodic guitar instrumental music but they took that and made it really loud and really scary it does seem quite spooky the way it all came together for them as well because they claimed that once they got started with that name everything just started falling into place and tony describes the riffs as just he couldn't write a bad riff for years and he said he didn't know where they came from he wasn't writing them like a year before but then he hit this period where he was just every practice they were coming up with the most killer riffs and the band themselves were like fans of each other you can see it on stage they're really buzzing off each other you know and they were they were really a special thing that happened it wouldn't have happened with any other combination of musicians it wouldn't have happened at any other time they weren't trying aiming for something it just sort of organically happened it seems like it was quite a spooky time generally i suppose in in creating music and stuff sometimes i guess like creativity comes out of things like confidence and finding a new area and so because they sort of went for this let's do scary horror music that was suddenly a new area and all this new creative ground opened up for them and that then gave them confidence because they felt that it was working. And the confidence when you're being creative in music is really, really healthy because it just allows it to, you're not blocked, you know, by your ideas don't get blocked anymore. And it does, we should also talk about another reason they sound the way they sound is because Tony Iommi had an accident at work, an industrial accident in which he lost his fingertips on uh, his left hand. A machine came, he worked in a factory, a very sort of, you know, sort of heavy machinery factory. It's another thing about heavy metal. That there's this theory that the reason it came from Birmingham and the reason Birmingham is the home of heavy metal is because it's the home of in, industry in, in Britain. And they were surrounded by factories and forges and literally metal everywhere, you know, like drop forges, industrial sounds going all the time. It was just in the air, literally in the air. Mm. Anyway, so Tony went to work one day and he was filling in for someone else and he didn't know how to operate the machine properly. It came down and took the tips of his fingertips off and he said he took his hand away and his fingertips just kind of pulled away. And this was before the days of, you know, industrial tribunals and stuff. I mean, I think he'd have a pretty strong case these days. <laughs> but he was just like off work. I don't know if he was being paid or whatever, but his old boss came around to see him. And he was really depressed, Tony. You know, he thought he was never going to be able to play guitar again. And his boss brought around a, a record of, by Django Reinhardt, who also lost some fingers and had learned how to play his own way. And Tony took, you know, strength from this and thought, well, if, if he can do it, I can do it. And he actually made himself fingertips out of uh, washing up liquid bottle caps, melted them down into little thimbles, a thimble is something that sits on the end of your finger when you're sewing and added little leather patches to them for extra feel. And then he found he could actually play when he used very light strings because he couldn't actually feel where his fingers were going. So he had to use touch very sensitively. So he used very light strings and he learned he could play with these thimbles on his fingers. 
and he still uses them to this day. And that's partly why they sound so heavy and why the notes bend so much is because he was using light gauge strings. And surprisingly, lighter gauge gives a heavier sound because it just does because you can bend them more. They're more malleable. They're not so rigid. So that's another weird, strange aspect of Black Sabbath. Like if he hadn't had that accident, would he have, would it have, you know, maybe that added a bit of darkness into his playing, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. That's brilliant. Did you, have you ever met Tony Iommi? Because Matt, the, it's kind of a famous story that I've repeated again and again on this podcast of the thing about what should you do when you meet a famous person? And you're supposed to do the thing that Matt did when he met Tony Iommi in WH Smith in Mel Square in Solihull. And he went up to him and said, excuse me, are you Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath? And Tony was like, yeah, I am. And Matt just went, nice one. And then left him alone, you know, <laughs> like he, he gave him the thumbs up. Nice one. And then left him alone. And uh, I, I, to this day, I swear that I, by coincidence, was there. Do you know this? I mean, you won't believe it because you don't believe it when I say things like this. Eh. Yeah, because I remember being in WH Smith before I knew before I knew Matt or anything like that. I would have been about, I don't know, 13 or something in WH Smith, um, standing at the magazine rack. Uh, looking at a computer game magazine or something, and I overheard the guy next to me, the, the, this happened next to me, someone go up to a guy and say, are you blah, blah, blah? And the guy going, yes, I am, right? So I definitely overheard that happening. And then and you, did, you used to spend most of your life in the video game section of uh, WH Smith. I used, to so. en- I used to enjoy reading all the magazines about computer games. So that definitely happened. Standing there, excuse me, are you blah, 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 blah? Uh, yeah, I am. Oh, nice one. You know, I definitely heard that happening. It might not have been Matt and Tony Iommi, but then Matt said, yeah, I met Tony Iommi once at the magazine rack in WH Smith in Solly Hull. And and I put two and two together and thought, I think I was there. I think I was standing next to both of you when that happened without even knowing you. It's possible. Very, very bizarre. Of course. I'm, don't assume I'm being sceptical here. I'm not. Okay. But uh, have you actually met Tony Iommi? Because he used to live in, 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 in the area where we used to live. Well, it was our local pub for a bit, and then it changed hands, and we didn't used to sort of drink there so much. But apparently after it kind of got done up and it was quite posh, Tony Iommi used to drink in our local pub for a while. Yeah, I think my parents I think, bumped into him. Yeah, I've never met him. No, I did see Black Sabbath live on, I think it was their last tour. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about it? Uh, it was in 2013, I think. I did look this up, but it was weeks ago when I did this uh, prep. Um, and it was the tour with Faith No More and Motorhead. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really good. It was excellent. And it was there was lots of funny things happened. I mean, lots of Motorhead and metal fans drink huge amounts of alcohol. And there was quite a few people that I saw that had obviously been drinking since they woke up on the coaches down from fucking Leeds or wherever, <laughs> and wherever metal fans come from. And um, loads of them were like passed out by like early afternoon. Like you'd go around the bar and there'd be people just like unconscious on the floor. And you're like, did you enjoy Black Sabbath, mate? Did you? Yeah, was it a good gig? <laughs> you know, enjoy that 50 quid ticket that you just spent lying on the, in a pool of your own vomit well, i don't mind drinking excessively but if you're gonna miss the bands come on yeah it's anyway, funny but black sabbath was superb i mean i was miles away 
I could just see them as like little figures, you know, on stage, but you're kind of looking at the screen most of the time. But um, they were super. I mean, it wasn't the original drummer. I think Bill Ward can't hack it anymore, the touring life, because uh, he's a sort of recovering alcoholic. Um, but they're, so their fill-in drummer isn't quite as good. But apart from that, it was superb, like hit after hit after hit. You know, you think, oh, they've played played all the hits now. I wonder what's next. Oh, fuck, I forgot about this one. And oh, it was superb. Really, really good. Yeah. How's Ozzy doing these days? Do we know? Uh, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. He's alive. Yeah, that's the main thing. Because either he's alive and sober, or he's alive and and still struggling with his uh, with his demons. Um, I don't know, but um, Ozzy's an incredible person, really. Hello, listeners. James now mentions a documentary, a video documentary about Ozzy Osbourne. The video documentary is called "God Bless Ozzy Osbourne." It's made by his son Jack Osbourne, so he has access to all sorts of footage that we've never seen before. So there's loads of great footage of the sort of lost years, you know, in the 80s where he's just completely lost, you know, just not out to lunch. Out to uh, lunch. Out of his head. I think one of the best bits is when Jack gets him to sit down and watch some of his old videos from the 80s. And he, a lot of them, it's like he's never seen them before. Like he has no memory of being there, no memory of seeing them before. And he gets pissed off. He's like, I'm fucking I'm not listening to this shit. Wait a minute. So he get Jack, his son, gets uh, Ozzy to sit down and watch some of his old music videos. Yeah, his old solo videos, like the Ozzy Osbourne solo stuff. And just Ozzy just doesn't remember any of it, and he doesn't remember the videos even existing. He doesn't remember filming them, and he hates seeing himself, you know, looking like a twat in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> I hated this video. Tell fucking lying. <laughs> oh, I don't like it. it fucking stupid. Everybody was fucked up and drunk and everything. So next, come on. It's a cliche fucking 80s video that is. I remember doing this fucking thing. I was a mess in there. I was doing fucking morphine, half, um, cut biker down, fucking booze, or all kinds of shit. There. Oh, I can't remember. I just can't remember it at all. Never happened. Next! It was ideal. How the fuck do I know? It's just boring to me. I don't know. It's fucking hard to go back there, you know. A lot of it. I don't want to go back there, you know. that's a good documentary okay must check it out should we talk more about the, the music stuff because you also wanted to name check some other scary music i mean this is matt again yeah again and eggy gave us or gave me this tape which i'm not going to tell you what it's called because it's extremely disgusting <laughs> it's full of really heavy death metal 
that we kind of all kind of started to get into kind of half as a joke but kind of half really into it and we've got some examples haven't we should we play some yeah okay so um let me just bring up the the little uh or the folder of audio files i've got here so what do you want to play then like most metal but i do quite like some of this really crazy mad stuff uh let's try deicide sacrificial suicide okay this is <laughs> are you ready folks you're gonna hear some death metal now so deicide they're a death metal band um and uh they're american formed yeah. in 1987 by the drummer steve asheim anyway and deicide means death of god or something doesn't it deicide means to to kill God? Yeah. Yeah, like the way you've got uh, homicide is killing man, deicide is killing God. Deicide is known for their lyrics, which cover topics such as Satanism, anti-Christianity, and blasphemy. Blasphemy, blasphemy, you, blasphemy everybody in the room. That's an Eddie Izzard thing. So you, you, you want to talk about the controversies, the various controversies associated with the band Deicide and how ridiculous they are. So this is ridiculous death metal from America from the late 80s. <laughs> but it's kind of quite enjoyable, even though it's ridiculous. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> oh, fucking awesome. The thing about that is that we're both drummers, right? And uh, the drumming in the in the in death metal is incredible. They use double bass pedals, so it's like both their feet are playing the bass drum, and that incredible skill. I mean, they're so talented. Yeah, it's really technical, isn't it? The drumming. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, without, the dr- without the drummer, they wouldn't stand a chance. You need such a good drummer to be in a band like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I think you also... The other one I remember, because I used to listen to this tape that Matt did, was Obituary, The End Complete. Should we talk about Deicide first? Very okay, brief. go on then. You I, go, go ahead. Okay, so there's um, some controversy about Deicide. Um, he claimed in the early 90s that he would commit suicide at the age of 33 to mirror a lifespan opposite that of Jesus Christ. However, he passed that age in 2000 and did not commit suicide. <laughs> uh, when, when he, in his 20s, he was like, I'm going to commit suicide when I'm 33 because that's when Jesus died. And then it turns out, oh, oh, uh, how old are you now? Oh, I'm 35. Oh, he didn't then. Good. <laughs> yeah, very... Um... Very irresponsible, I'd say. During an interview with NME magazine, he shot and killed a squirrel with a pellet gun to prevent any further damage to his electrical system in the attic of the location where the interview was held. What? The ang- <laughs> what? He, he shot a squirrel during an interview with a, with a little gun because the... Okay. It's very evil. Um, but funnily enough, someone left a bomb on stage at one of their gigs and it, and it went off. No one was harmed. 
but uh, it was blamed on animal rights activists who were angered at their side's lyrical themes of animal sacrifice. And the, and probably the squirrel that he shot. I always think it's funny when you see these really heavy metal bands and then you see the little Sony logo in the bottom or EMI or whatever, and you just think, how... <laughs> yeah, they're in it for the money, aren't they, really? I don't know. It's entertainment, I suppose. Yeah, it is. It's like horror movie stuff, really. It's a bit weird when people take it too seriously, though. I mean, there's those Norwegian black metal guys, which we're not going to talk about because I don't really know anything about it. But they burned down churches and there was murders involved. And yeah, that... people just shouldn't take it too seriously. Yeah, don't burn down buildings and don't, you know, don't kill people, obviously. I mean, it's, yeah, heavy metal for me is, is the appeal of it is a bit like the appeal of, yeah, sort of horror films. It's thrilling. It kind of makes you feel more alive when you feel scared, when you have that sense that this is um dangerous and and naughty and um is uh sinful and goes against like established um conventions of morality that whole atmosphere of that is is quite sort of um exciting but intoxicating. it's intoxicating don't actually do any evil things though it's ridiculous um all right okay there, I mean, we could blast of uh, something else what was it what was the other one uh, obituary i remember this one from matt's tape i remember this one was like whoa listen to that okay here yeah. it is this is a band called obituary and when somebody dies like a public figure dies uh the the piece that is written about them in the newspaper is the obituary uh so it's like you know just a summary of someone's life in the newspaper after they've died and that's the name of this band obituary how do you say it Obituary. Obituary. It's one of those words that's sort of difficult to say even in your own language. Obituary. Obituary. You have to say it in a really BBC voice. Obituary. Yeah, obituary. Are they American, this group? Almost undoubtedly. Okay, let's have a little listen. Okay, <laughs> that was obituary. The end complete. I actually, I remember that. That was. Do you remember we used to do a cover of that in Grandpa Knuckles? Yeah, we were in a band called Grandpa Knuckles, and uh, that's how we know that song because we used to do a cover version of that in the band. God knows how we did that. It's actually quite a simple song. That one, except for the some of the drumming. 
Yeah. I mean, there's other, there's other bits of music that I think you wanted to just, just mention briefly, but I think we should move on to talk about some other things. Let's have a little blast to see what else you've got on that list, because it's, it's worth it. Some of these are brilliant. Okay. All right, then. Come on. Come on. Always cut them out. Um, I think we have a bit of uh, carcass incarcerated solvent abuse. <laughs> now, this one is one of the best riffs. And it sounds like it's been recorded off a tape. You know, it sounds like this has been lost in time somewhere, the, the original recording of this, unless it was just terribly recorded in the first place. But it's just superb, this one. Go on, so the band, on. the band name is Carcass, which is like the dead body of an animal, like a, a carcass by the side of the road. If you love animals, then, you know, I don't know, what should I say? I, I, sorry, I love animals too. I really love animals, um, you know, so I don't know. Couldn't eat a whole one. <laughs> I love animals, but I couldn't eat a whole one. Very funny. Uh, name of the band is Carcass. The uh, title of the song is in- Incarnated Solvent Abuse. Solvent abuse is when you, it's like sniffing glue or, or aerosols, um, like sort of like a really cheap, dodgy form of drug abuse. But in- Incarnated. Who knows? It looks good. Yeah. Written. Okay, this is on incarnated solvent abuse by Carcass. <laughs> Yeah, That's awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, you know what we should play is a bit of Gustav Holst. Uh, Kate mentioned this as one of the composers. Gustav Holst was a British composer, um, um, despite the name. It's not a typically English name, Gustav. But Gustav Holst, uh, Gustav Theodore Holst, was an English composer, arranger and teacher, uh, best known for the orchestral suite, The Planets. He was around sort of end of the 19th century and the first part of the 20th century. I don't know when the planets was composed. Let's see. Um, okay. Just before, no, just during the, the during the beginning of world war one, uh, Gustav Holst wrote the planets between 1914 and 1916. Um, and um, this is uh, the, so the planets is a set of pieces of classical music about the planets and Mars, this one, is about the, what was it? The bringer of war? Well, Mars is the god of war, traditionally. So I guess this is a, a war theme. And um, it's inspired quite a lot of heavy metal, I believe. Quite a lot of people reference this. Not just heavy metal. I think it's massively inspired um, John Williams, the guy who did the music for Star Wars. But this, this the, the Mars theme has got lots of um, diminished fifths and augmented fourths in it um as as we'll hear you know that down down there's lots of that in this here we go
Okay. Anyway, a bit of Gustav Holst there. Come on, what else? You, you wanted probably you want go down one. Gravediggers. Gravediggers. I mean, this is a good example of scary hip hop or scary rap music, which there's quite a lot of, and nearly all of it references horror films. So they may be talking about kind of societal scary shit in some cases, but a lot of the time, like Gravediggers. Gravediggers was a kind of like uh, horror film themed supergroup rap group, and they've got a very good album called Six Feet Deep, which is quite scary. So let's have a bit of that. It's called Nowhere to Run, Gravediggers. Let's get it on, I watch the spot get blown. I be the sick lunatic with the devil is home. From the mist of the darkness, I come with this. It is straight to the chest like a primary mist. Best director, yeah, the fanatical type. I'm like a bat in the night when it's time to take flight. Here I am in the flesh, and yes, I love sex. I'm obsessed by the sounds the track possess. Intellectual killer, special majestical. Wow. I think that was Rizza, and I don't know who the second guy was, but top, that's pretty top draw hip hop. Yeah, it's it's one of the best. Uh what else have we got? Um Holiday in Cambodia. I don't know if we need to play it, but Dead Kennedys are quite scary. And they write songs about kind of societal scary shit, like pollution and like chemicals in the water supply and um, lawlessness. Lawlessness. Holiday in Cambodia, which nowadays you can go on holiday to Cambodia. but um, I, I have been on holiday in Cambodia. Yeah. We had a lovely time. But... Back in the late 70s, it was kind of known for sort of horrible war atrocities. And um, the idea of sending a kind of hippie on holiday for a year, gap year, in Cambodia back then was a kind of terrifying concept. Yeah. So let's have a little bit of that just for the spooky vibes of Dead Kennedys. Okay. makes me think of like surf music but also um just full of those uh, dissonant intervals that kate was talking about which is interesting that back in the days when uh, the church was really involved in music and making music and music was all about praising god and so all the intervals had to be perfect you know you get all those perfect fifths and perfect thirds and stuff is that a third i think so and um no that's a fifth Perfect fifths, perfect thirds. All the, the heavy metal music and surf music and stuff is lots of those um, uh, dissonant intervals, like the, like, you know. Like so. And those are dissonant intervals, and it's it, like modern 
rock music um, is full of all that stuff, which is interesting because it's sort of like, you know, new musical ground sort of thing. Kind of puts you in a weird mood or kind of puts you on edge. Yeah, and back in the medieval period or or later, um, that stuff was discouraged just because it wasn't felt to be sort of pure enough. Uh, and not- it's tension, creates tension because you're always waiting for it to resolve in music back to the kind of bass note or back to the harmony. And while that dissonance is there, you're kind of waiting for it to kind of fix itself. Which creates momentum because you want it to move forwards to, to resolve and stuff like that. So that's why, that's why rock and roll is exciting because of all those intervals and those, those things, the unresolved intervals in music. Right, let's have Aphex Twin. So Aphex Twin makes some lovely ambient music and he also makes horrible, scary music. Uh, there's one called Smodge Face as well, which I haven't listed there, which is just noise, horrible, <laughs> discordant, you know, electronic noise. But this is this kind of big hit, big scary hit. What can you say about this one, Luke? Well, it's it's just it's designed to be as scary as possible. He's obviously gone, ha 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 ha! I'm going to make something really scary and um, really disturbing, just because it's funny to me. I think that's kind of what he did. Yeah. And he got together with the uh, the director. Is it Chris Cunningham? Yeah, the video's horrible. I don't like those Chris Cunningham videos. I mean, I'm an Apex Twin fan, but I find the videos a bit bit much. <laughs> I don't like the video. I remember seeing the video, I think, on MTV late at night when I was a student, and I'm just thinking, oh, God, that's really that's just really disturbing and horrible. It's like worse than the, the, the most scary horror film. Are they trying to upset us? Why? why? What's the reason? It's, they're just trying to disturb us just for their own amusement. <laughs> Let's put Come to Daddy on. Okay, this is Come to Daddy, and it's like, what is it? I want your soul from the the scary movie uh, Evil Dead 2, which we're going to talk about films and scary experiences after this. Okay, anyway, here we go. Come to Daddy by Aphex Twin. I mean, <laughs> I actually find it funny, really, these days. Quality stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a synth being put through a super fuzz pedal to me. Oh, really? <laughs> All right, then. So um, I wonder if people are still with us. Let's talk about other scary stuff. What, what should we do? Should we talk about scary stories or scary films? We could break it up with the stories since we've had a lot of clips being played. Come on, let's talk about some scary stories. Hello everyone, this is actually the end of part one, and we'll continue the theme in part two. And as you heard just at the end there, we're going to tell some true stories about frightening things that we've really experienced in our lives. So some anecdotes are coming in part two. I hope you've enjoyed part one and that you're not feeling too disturbed or anything. Just to recap then, in this episode, we talked about the origin of the idea that 666 is the number of the devil and how it turns out that it's not quite as satanic as people think. Then we talked about the devil's interval in music, the augmented fourth or diminished fifth, depending on your outlook on life. Augmented, by the way, means raised. To augment means to increase the value of something or to go up. And uh, diminished is the opposite. To diminish means to make something less. So when you go up one semitone from a fourth, I mean, this is, this is already being explained, repeating myself. But anyway, that's a fourth. That's a fourth. So if you go up 
one semitone. There you go. That's the the augmented fourth and diminished meaning going down for this is a fifth so if you go down from there you end up at the same note so augmented fourth diminished fifth same note okay so they're actually exactly the same note just two ways of describing it so we talked about that which is a feature of so-called unholy music and then we had a good old ramble about black sabbath heavy metal and other scary forms of music some of you probably expected us to talk about some other bands like for example iron maiden and i'm afraid we did have to admit that we're not really super big fans of iron maiden which is kind of why we didn't talk about them because you know you've got to talk about what you know haven't you and also some of you might have expected us to talk about and not just heavy metal or death metal but black metal or doom metal or goth metal or power metal or thrash metal any of the other metals basically there are various other genres that obviously we didn't cover so if that's what you were expecting i do apologize but you know you could jump into the comment section and um, add a few comments about other scary music that you feel is appropriate for episode 666 still to come then We have our scary stories, and then in part three, we turn to the topic of scary films. Leave your comments in the comments section if you fancy getting involved. Thanks again to Kate Arnold for her input in this episode. App users, those of you listening to this on the Luke's English Podcast app, you'll find a bit of bonus audio for this episode, and it's Kate talking about, uh, and it's Kate talking more about the Wheel of Fortune which is the name of her album. Wheel of Fortune is also an image which appeared in a lot of medieval art and culture. That's why she named her album Wheel of Fortune. So if you'd like to hear Kate talking for a couple of minutes about the Wheel of Fortune, then tap the gift icon for this episode in the Luke's English Podcast app. The icon uh, can be found when you're playing this episode. It's next to the share, favourite and download icons in the app. If you don't have the app, you can get it free from the App Store on your phone. Just search for Luke's English Podcast app. You'll find bonus bits of audio for some of the episodes. If you'd like to hear Kate's music properly, without it being faded out by me, then check out the page for this episode on the website where you will find links to Kate Arnold's album on Bandcamp and also some YouTube videos of her stuff. Also, on the page for this episode uh, on the website... You'll see a video from Numberphile explaining in more detail how the number 666 is a code which refers to Emperor Nero rather than the devil, plus some footage of Black Sabbath and the heavy metal Britannia documentary that James mentioned, which is well worth a watch. That's it then for part one, and we will speak to you again in part two soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.